Hello and welcome back to the Sustainable Business Covered podcast. Coming up in today's episode, we discuss the business response to the coronavirus pandemic and why the social aspect of corporate responsibility is rising in prominence. For me, it comes back to what the role of a business is in society. And I think I come back to this idea that part of that is how do we solve real world issues? Our absolute focus is maintaining this incredibly positive momentum that we've got when it comes to businesses engaging with and supporting their local communities. So yes, hello and welcome back to the Sustainable Business Covered podcast. I'm ED's content editor Matt Mace bringing you episode 86 of this long-running podcast focused on corporate sustainability. Last time out, we provided a two-part episode on the net zero transition, but this week we're back to focusing on the CSR aspect of corporate sustainability, with a particular focus of the S in ESG. We've seen plenty of examples of businesses responding brilliantly and also not so brilliantly to the coronavirus pandemic, from those attempting to stay open and badge their organisation as essential, when really they weren't, um, to the many businesses providing valuable donations, volunteers or assistance in the form of manufacturing to help essential workers combat the pandemic. There's been quite a split. Fortunately, I believe there's been more cases of the latter than the former. But it has gotten us to ED thinking. Is the social aspect of sustainability now becoming as business critical in the same way that environmental protection has? It's a much harder concept to measure, but it's also a valuable way to create trust and showcase that ever enigmatic business purpose. So what better way to use the online platforms we've all gotten used to during lockdown than to use this episode of the podcast to focus on corporate community engagement? Joining me today for this discussion uh, is Sienna Parker, Head of Creative Responsibility at Penguin, uh, the world's leading book publisher, and Steve Butterworth, uh, the Chief Executive of Maybelly. Um, Steve, you are uh, almost an ED podcast regular, having last appeared at our Christmas episode, which isn't actually that long ago, kind of five... Feels, feels, like, feels like a lifetime ago. <laughs> yeah, it does. That, that's the thing. It does feel like a lifetime ago. Um, and Sienna, thank you um, very much for joining us. I, I mean, I, I remember we had a kind of very brief conversation over LinkedIn at one point, which kind of then went to nowhere because my journalistic abilities to follow up on conversations aren't the best. So it's good to finally be able to, to speak to you. Um, how, how are you both? Right. Really good, thank you, in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Good, good to hear. I think, um, I, think, I think what's going on with the news right now and the fact that there's some sort of exit strategy um, outlined by the government, I think spirits are a bit buoyed that there's, there's some resemblance of, of whatever this new normal is going to look like in the future that we're starting to get to an idea of where we might be able to go out and meet people rather than meeting virtually face-to-face on, on Zoom like we're doing uh, today. And I suppose, you know, that's kind of the, the question I have to start on is, is how, um, how have you both adapted to this way of working? Um, has it impacted your ability to reach out in your own organisation or, or, or indeed uh, others? Steve, perhaps if we start with you, how has Lead Enabling uh, been during this kind of virtual transition? So I think we were we were lucky in terms of the fact that from a, a planning perspective, um, our COO, Zoe, had done a phenomenal job in, in getting us ready. Um, I think she'd sort of seen the writing on the wall perhaps a, a few weeks beforehand. Um, and we actually all went remote from mid, uh, mid-March. So the entire business decamped at that point. And 
actually the transition was was seamless. The, the team have been amazing, and, and I think in the context of everybody's experience of having to adjust to this new way of of operating, not being able to to get face to face, may you know, initially feel quite weird to people who don't necessarily do. Um, these sorts of meetings on, and, and hadn't done these sorts of meetings regularly. And, and I think people's willingness, um, adaptability to, to get their arms around a, a new way of working. And, and, I, and I think just understand there's no other alternative, but okay, let's, let's make a plan and let's, let's make it work, you know, has meant that here we are in what, you know, week 10, week 11, I've sort of lost count. I think we've uh, we've managed to operate pretty seamlessly, and obviously as we'll discuss, I mean, a lot, you know, a lot of the work we do, you know, has been very much in supporting those on the front line, whether that's essential workers, you know, in terms of supermarket retail clients, you know, or whether it's been those that have been you know, on the front line providing uh, you know, local support through through local charities. Um, it, we've actually had to grow the team, so actually, it's what's one of the challenges has been actually recruiting while we've been. Uh, working remotely, you know, to the point where there are you know, a number of people that I've never met in person. So it, yeah, it has been an a, I mean, incredible experience that in very short order to sort of throw yourself in at the deep end, but just have to know that this is the way it is. And I've been, I've been really pleased with, with how we've, we've managed to, to sort of keep the wheels turning. Yeah, I think it's definitely shown the, the business ability to adapt to a very kind of short notice. Um, and, and Sienna, how have things been for you in terms of working at home um, and, and your role at, at Penguin? Yeah, I mean, I think we're all sick of Zoom, aren't we? Um, <laughs> I think we've had far too many Zoom meetings, but I think overall, like you say, businesses, including ours, have probably surprised themselves with how easily we have been able to um, transition and, you know, things that would never have been possible before virtually have suddenly become so overnight by necessity. So I think that, um, you know, our team has certainly adapted pretty well. Um, I think I remember right at the beginning of lockdown, it must have been sort of week one or week two, um, Zoe, um, your colleague Stephen Naberly said to me, this is a marathon and not a sprint. And that has really kind of stayed with me because I think those first few weeks anyway, certainly there was a sense of real urgency. Um, I sit in a kind of brand and comms team. So we had a lot on our plate in terms of internal comms, external comms, trying to kind of manage those crazy few weeks. And actually it was quite useful to get that sense of perspective. And I think we've certainly kind of settled into a much more normal rhythm now. Um, and our wider business, you know, we have a supply chain, which obviously has been slightly more challenging and um, making sure that health and safety is paramount as we've um, kind of continued to operate. But from me and my team, we're, we're doing OK. And um, yeah, I think want to see each other's faces. Can't wait for it. I never thought I would miss a meeting before, but um, I do. But I think, you know, overall, we're, we're fine. Yeah, it's amazing how you can. Uh, our, our offices at um, Faversham House are pretty basic in, in the in the broader scheme of things, but I kind of can't wait to get back into into the office and actually actually see my colleagues kind of face to face again whenever that will be. That's that's probably a, a bit off still, but um, you know, there's that kind of light on the horizon in, in that sense as well. And and Steve touched on the fact that he's also their, their organisation also had to employ more people, and that's completely understandable why helping and supporting those frontline workers. Sienna, what about Penguin? I mean, we, we've spoken to some businesses uh, in regards to kind of CSR area that they've had to kind of scale back on announcements and strategies around this area. Has, has that been the case or have, have actually, has Penguin been able to really kind of forge ahead and continue on its, on its kind of responsible business trajectory? 
Yeah, I don't think that's been the case for us. I mean, I think from our perspective, we've felt that, you know, now more than ever, all of the work that we were doing, especially with that kind of community societal impact focus, um, has become even more important and even more business critical. And so what we did actually is bring forward um, a planned partnership that we had with, with Stephen Neighbourly, which was to redistribute books back into the community. Um, and that was in the pipeline for the summer. And actually when um, COVID hit, we felt that that lifeline was going to be more important um, than ever before, especially because some of the causes that we wanted to distribute books to, like food banks, for example, or homeless shelters, were supporting so many of the people that were most impacted by the crisis, whether that's, um, you know, families who are using food banks um, or older people who are isolated. Um, and actually, it just made complete sense for us to say, well, this needs to be part of our response. Um, so I think we've done a number of things that have been brought forward and we've also kind of pivoted a number of things so some of the programs that we run that would be in the physical environment so for example we have a program which is all about finding new writers from underrepresented backgrounds and um, and is normally a series of events we've turned that completely virtual now so we've continued that program but adapted it so that it's going to be online um, and I think a lot of businesses are doing that as well so yeah we've been very fortunate in that way that the business has seen it as a, a key priority that's yeah that's that's good i think a lot of businesses the majority i've spoken to at least uh, yeah that, that that area has been a key priority throughout all of this and you'd be forgiven for for a lot of organizations focusing on that very kind of short-term um economic need to survive but actually i think we're seeing that that csr and sustainability is is, is quite key to that that, that economic survival um, and steve you touched on it a bit earlier but um, i mean it sounds like there, there's there's kind of not a moment's peace uh, neighbourly in terms of um, how you're kind of assisting frontline workers right now. It has been very busy, but for for all the well the right or the wrong reasons, you know, depending on which lens you look at it through. I think from our perspective, it has been amazing to be in a position to be able to to make a, an impact at a time when our communities. Uh, are in are in such desperate need and thrown into you know complete tailspin by 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 current circumstances. I mean, from our perspective, one of the the big work streams that that came online very early on um, was the launch of the Neighbourly Community Fund, um, which, uh, with the help of our corporate partners, has has now raised about 1.2 million. Um, and, and the reason that we we wanted to bring that online was because one of the things that we saw when we were surveying our community, which we, we do on, a, on a, a very regular basis and have been doing it sort of monthly through the, the crisis. Uh, it was obviously evident to us that we were you know, seeing these amazing pledges in terms of, of money from, from corporates and governments, but then they weren't filtering down to the grassroots causes quick enough. So our goal was very much to provide those quick, rapid response micro grants that were unrestricted uh, so that they weren't limited to to spending it on any particular activity as long as it was related to uh, you know, providing some support to the vulnerable communities that they were involved with uh, on the, as a result of the crisis. So that the Navy Community Fund has been uh, you know, a fantastic success and ho hopefully made a, a difference there and had great support from the, the corporate partners. Unsurprisingly, the, the, the food redistribution programs have been in complete overdrive. And you know, we've said it to all of our, our, our corporate partners who redistribute food, whether that's the, 
the supermarket retailers or whether it's in the supply chain, you know, what a phenomenal effort they've, they've all made. Um, you know, their, their, their staff and teams have been incredibly responsive through an incredibly challenging time. Um, but it's very much been about that local support and being able to you know, get that food directly to those you know, that are closest to the communities in which these, these stores and these facilities are, are based. And, and that has, I mean, we, we've, we've redistributed a, just over 4 million meals since, uh, since March. Um, and that, again, from a team's perspective, morale-wise, when you're, again, back to what we were saying at, at the beginning, Matt, you know, you're, you're working in this sort of alien environment from home and sometimes feeling maybe slightly out of touch with the real world. And, you know, I think we've you know, been exposed to those very real-life, um, often very hard stories to hear of grassroots local causes doing what they can uh, to, to keep everything going. And, and I think, you know, when we look back over this, this time period, it is, you know, across the entire you know, corporate world, you know, the extent to which you've seen businesses like Penguin, like Danone, like Heineken, you know, like uh, Aldi and Lidl and m and I mean, all of them, you know, I think it's fair to say, you know, adapted and, 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 and adopted a kind of musketeer mentality of, of being very pre-competitive in the way that they've wanted to approach supporting their communities, which has been wonderful. Now that's, that's really good to hear. And, and yeah, you mentioned that there, there are some, um, the response at least has been very kind of positive uh, as you've outlined. Um, and it's in kind of direct contrast to the kind of tragedy and crippling aspect of the coronavirus itself. I mean, we've kind of seen where we, I don't really know how to word this about it kind of just sounding like um a bit of a juxtaposition to what's going on, but we've kind of seen where we want, where we need to get to in terms of global emissions, um, air quality benefits, and and almost just how um, how we renegotiate our relationship with the environment and and a little bit of society too through this. Obviously, it's taken some massive negatives to get to that point, but there are some there are some kind of end goals here that, that we would want to replicate in terms of businesses being back in the heart of communities and really supporting them, uh, air pollution being much cleaner, um, a lot more kind of views around public um, uh, transport and, and kind of cycling and walking, um, people falling back in love with nature. There's a lot of end goals there. The, the route there's obviously got to be completely different. How, how do you guys feel that we can kind of take that narrative, certainly around the, the kind of business and the community engagement aspect, and, and make sure that when we kind of enter this new normal, whatever it looks like, we, most businesses or some businesses don't go back to the old way of, of perhaps just ignoring this aspect. Sienna, do you want to take that? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I think what will be interesting is whether the shift, which I think had started before COVID, which is that, you know, consumers caring more about where they buy from, who they are employed by, and this kind of idea of the corpsumer that, you know, people buy into the company behind the product or service that they buy. I, I do think that that trend will only accelerate after Corona and that I think people have seen much more that businesses have been and, and can step up to the plate and that actually you know, I think there is a, a role and a bigger role potentially for businesses to play in addressing and solving real world problems that are, you know, unique to them in their sector. And I think, you know, in my mind, the interesting kind of um, thing in all of this for us as CR professionals is what our role in that is. Because I think for too long, you know, CR, CSR, whatever we want to call ourselves have been slightly 
you know, sidelined. We've maybe not been at the, the heart of the commercial decision making. Um, it's ne never really before driven business strategy in the way that it maybe has in the last five years. And I think this is another turning point where, you know, businesses can really lean into this as an opportunity. But I think it's, it's interesting for us to think about, well, how do we use our skill set and how do we use our experience to make sure that we have a valuable role to play in that as well? And it doesn't become a kind of marketing driven sort of greenwashing um, trend. And I think that, that that is the slight flip side to the, the positive of this, that that could be a real risk. Um, but overall, I think I'm very optimistic that actually this could could really change the way and the role of business as a kind of force for good in society. And I think there were sort of green shoots of that happening beforehand, but maybe this will be what sort of allows that to really blossom. Sienna, do you think in terms of your comment there about CSR, perhaps in the past, having been sidelined, you know, the sorts of conversations that you've been involved with internally at Penguin Random House has been that sort of more integral to business strategy type conversation and, and a bit more of a sort of a longer term view yeah exactly and I think that takes time you know I think when I came into Penguin and I was sort of the first ever CR manager there wasn't really anyone in that role before I think people thought I was going to kind of sort the recycling bins out and do a bit of fake sales on the side to fundraise and that was completely the opposite of how we wanted to position you know CR which is why we came up with this kind of idea of talking about creative responsibility as a way of differentiating ourselves and saying well actually we think that as a publisher we have a really um, interesting and different role to play here in addressing some of these real world problems whether that's um, you know literacy or creativity and I think um, we've built over time we've shown that actually you know we can be a, a business driver as well that you know CR can be a commercial opportunity and a commercial upside and you know now as a result CR is seen as kind of one of three core business priorities for us as a company which is great I think that a lot of companies are doing similar things and obviously you have the kind of leaders like Unilever who put you know social impact right there alongside commercials but I think still there is a lot of sidelining nice to have you know CR is the kind of fluffy add-on um which I think is a real shame and and this this might help change that I, I think I mean it will definitely in my view change it I think the, the 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 point that you make which is 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 sadly probably true is that the the tide will go out a bit um my hope is it doesn't go all the way out again um and I think what again back to what you're saying Matt about you know, the, the sort of juxtaposition we find ourselves in here in terms of crisis and opportunity. I, I'd like to think that what we, where we find ourselves now is that there is a step change in how businesses embrace CR and, and CSR and, and how integral it is to the overall business strategy and that it is authentic and that it is baked into the DNA of the business and to your, you know, the extent that someone like Unilever you know, has, has obviously sort of led for, for a long time around this topic. There are, there are certainly others that would love to aspire to that. And obviously the whole B Corp movement has, has, has springboarded off that as well. What I guess I'd like to, to sort of see moving forward is how businesses continue to sort of look at this as just being part of the day-to-day -day way of, of operating. And I think what might happen, and I haven't, answer, I haven't got an answer to this, is how does the definition of a good corporate citizen redefine itself? Mm -hmm. And I think that's where, you know, that may have been more tick box previously. What, you know, is it going to be as intense as it may have been for the last eight weeks? Probably unlikely, 
but it but there's no reason why there isn't a framework now that can be worked towards and we are able to to get ourselves over this this hump that may have been there an invisible one or otherwise to to be able to embrace a, a different way of, of of corporate behavior and if what we've just gone through is kind of the big experiment that no one was brave enough to take on you know one would like to think that there's an opportunity here to to be able to uh, see how moving forward that level of community engagement social responsibility the, the environment you know is just part and parcel of board level conversations you know and throughout the rest of the business now that's a, that's a really good point and it kind of turns into my next question sienna you mentioned that there there is a there is a risk that that coming out of this some businesses may focus on this as a bit of a marketing exercise a bit of a kind of cream wash area so i suppose my question is what, what you know how how does a business measure this? You know, if it's, if it's the environment, there's, there's a lot of metrics in place to be able to kind of um, quantify how sustainable a business is. I feel, I feel like perhaps this is a less explored area. Unless, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on, on how you could, I suppose, showcase that a business is being responsible. It does have this at the heart of its purpose, um, especially in the community aspect where it's, it's the, 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 the metrics are perhaps a bit more hidden. Yeah, I think it's harder, isn't it? And it's it's harder to sort of come up with a metric that works across all industries in the way that with something like emissions, obviously that's easier to do. So I think for me, it comes back to, I suppose, what the role of a business is in society. And I think I come back to this idea that part of that is how do we solve real world issues and how do we team up with partners and experts that can help us do that? Um, and I think depending on what that problem is, there will be different ways of measuring success. So, for example, we work really closely with our main charity partner who are called the National Literacy Trust and they kind of do what it says on the tin. And we um, run a programme with them called Puff and World of Stories, which is all about how do we reimagine what a school library looks like in this day and age? And how do we solve the problem, which is that schools have no money to buy books and that schools have no real time or expertise to kind of curate reading for pleasure in the school often and so we developed that program with them um which involves books and it involves training and various other bits and pieces but a key part of that from the beginning was well how do we evaluate impact how do we really show that this is not just a you know nice shiny program but that it's actually making a difference and so we have a number of different you know metrics and indicators associated with that and i think that you you need that at the forefront of whatever program or whatever you know campaign you're running that has a, a sort of CR or you know s social good um, impact. But it is harder, I think, to get that consistency. Which is where, as you said, Steve, you know things like the B Corp certification really come into their own because I think that is a really helpful shorthand, not quite in the consumer consciousness yet, but hopefully soon to say, well, actually, this is a business that is doing good things in society and for the environment. And I can be sure that that has been certified and is credible. Uh, yeah, exactly. And I think, yeah, so Matt, coming back to what you're saying with regard to you know, how one potentially um, falls foul of being seen to market your you know, CSR or CR activity, uh, as Sienna says, it's not like any one single metric should be used to try to sort of compare and contrast one business's um, you know, corporate behavior you know, versus another. I think what we're trying to do here is say from an authentic perspective, how do you look at the way that you as a business are impacting the environment, acting in a socially responsible way, supporting the communities in which you're active. I mean, ultimately, this whole thing feeds into the, the conversation that started last year and, and obviously it had been bubbling away anyway around this shift towards a greater level of stakeholder capitalism. 
and and for me i think what we'll see is that over time when it comes to measuring you know the social impact piece there'll be parts that are more important to other businesses than others simply because of you know what they do you know the uh, the areas in the world that they they're operating in um and i think just to try and use social impact measures and find a uniform way of approaching it is difficult i i'd say again to reiterate what sienna said b corp status gives you a sort of a reasonably broad way of saying we are a socially responsible environmentally focused organization that have the best interest of the planet at heart and subscribe to the triple bottom triple bottom line that bit is a big statement of intent and i think we'll just have to see how things go from here but i think there is going to be a level of of, of accountability that organizations will be held to so i don't i don't see there being a, it being a bad thing to be able to to some degree be able to find a way and find an outlet to be able to talk about what you are doing because consumers industry media expects you to do it and i think it, everything can't exist exist ultimately um in the uh you know in, in, behind a firewall do you think that that is particularly true that sort of level of scrutiny and expectation given that so many companies have had to tap into public support in this time especially in the uk whether that's through furlough schemes or you know other other support that the government has given them do you think that that will heighten expectations that now as we kind of to use a overquoted hashtag on linkedin build back better that you know that that business needs to have a role to play in that i'm i'm sure that will feed into the discussion with without a doubt that there is there going to be a an expectation that uh, to the extent that organizations as as well as the uh, the population generally have, have had to get some support in some form or other and you know not everyone has but i certainly think there's going to be a a degree of expectation around that i would like to think and maybe this is slightly naive on my part that actually you know organizations aren't just then giving back because they think they should be seen to be doing it um you know, maybe there will be some but I, I think there is a level of of renewed authenticity to wanting to you know, to address the s in esg as, as as you said earlier matt it's, it's not always been the easiest thing for for organizations to get their arms around this so what does that actually mean e, the e bit's reasonably easy to say well you know this is what we need to do and there's a bit of a playbook for that and and the governance bit, you know, again, you know, maybe there's a sort of a, a bit more guidance. I think the S bit has struggled to to be defined for some organisations, and I'd like to think now that there is some, there's a bit of a, a of a guidebook now that didn't exist before. No, definitely. We we wrote an article on ED not too long ago, and I think year on year, if you compare the month of March compared to 2019, the, the amount of ESG bonds that were being uh, offered and written by investors had, had climbed 270 percent um and a lot of that was very much focused on what you would probably class as the s of, of, of that based on uh, pandemic responses and we've also got some stats on the site about b corps growing a lot faster than the rest of um traditional businesses and you knew the sustainable living plan which we always reference um being the fastest growing area of that business so it's quite clear that this approach you know does does work in terms of economic growth as well with the investors now much more aligned and wanting to kind of de-risk their portfolios um you know is is this the opportunity to make you know make that that societal connection between business and community the 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 cornerstone of 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 a new normal of that building back better as sienna mentioned is it going to be the cornerstone 
it's certainly going to be integral. I don't see how we can get away from it. We, let's be honest, guys, we're in this, the, 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 the payback period for, for what we've just gone through in the last 10 weeks is years. This, this is not going to be a, a, a quick turnaround. And while I, I, like everyone else, would love to think that things will return to some sense of, of, of normalcy in the not too distant future, there is going to be, a, there is a very big bank balance that, that has to be sorted out. And, and I think the way that businesses will play a role in that and the extent to which there are going to be some incredibly tough times for vulnerable communities across the UK, there is a, there's not just an expectation, there's a need for business to, to play its part there. Uh, I mean, the DCMS issued a, a report earlier on in, in May, which you know, actually was, was commending the way that um, both businesses and the public had stepped up in a way that actually government hadn't. Um, and, and to the extent that I think you know, that will have been a, a wonderful endorsement of how uh, you know, corporate responsibility has been taken seriously. And, and as Sienna said right at the beginning, it, to maintain that momentum is going to be, is going to be absolutely critical. And therefore, you know, will that drive a level of value in organizations when they get that you know, ESG part of their, their business right? 100%. Be interesting to see as well if there's more kind of cross corporate collaboration in that space because I think that's one of the things that you know feels like is the next phase or wave of um, CR as it develops and you know hasn't quite I think got um, become mainstream has it and I think that would be really interesting especially across different industries where collaboration often is quite rare and whether or not this will bring in a kind of new a new phase of that and I think certainly for me that would be really interesting and potentially high impact obviously you've, you've done it Steve with your kind of community fund um, but I think in particularly in sort of program delivery and things like that it would be fascinating to see if that happens more. I, absolutely and, and I think again I mentioned it earlier for me you know we've always tried to position Nably as being very much a, a pre-competitive space for our corporate partners because there is absolutely strength in numbers and that ability to be able to collaborate. Um, and and I've, I've written a number of articles over the last few weeks about you know, how that has been absolutely critical to be able to, to come together and, and whether you know, you're day-to-day -day competing um, for you know, a certain amount of consumer spending or a certain market. I think now you're seeing a, a level of collaboration and coordination going on, which you know, organizations understand is going to be more powerful. That doesn't mean that there's not going to be competition in their worlds. And that absolutely needs to remain because you know, that's the way that you know, we'll all be able to build back and that there is going to be that sort of economic recovery. But I think, as Sienna says, there's absolutely a space for a level of coordination and collaboration in a pre-competitive spirit when it comes to supporting, especially the, you know, the communities that, that are going to need their support over the years to come. So that's, that's a really interesting point, which uh, kind of tunes into one of my last questions, um, which is this. I mean, we, we are kind of second guessing where we're heading next. No one, no one, no one knows what that's going to look like just yet. But, but the, 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 the discussion um, is, is part of the, the opportunity aspect of it. A lot of people, a lot of publications are starting to suggest that this may be the end of globalization or the beginning of the end of it. People or organizations will be so much more concerned about future shocks whether that's climate induced whether that's future kind of disease outbreaks um, that they will look to really kind of shorten supply chains look much more locally where they can have a kind of more of a, a kind of eye on the ground look at, at what's going 
on it depends very much sector to sector you know your electric car manufacturers can't afford to do that for example but some will be able to really kind of localize everything and become much more of a steward of the community um i'm interested to get your thoughts on how how you think um that will will impact this this sense of of business purpose going forward i mean it's 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 highly speculative that will be the case but but some of the business we've spoken to do want to kind of um shorten and and source much more locally and get much more involved in that sense to to kind of have more oversight sienna you want to pick that up from a, a sort of supply chain perspective given you know the extent to which you're sourcing you know, globally, I, I don't have quite the same sort of supply chain challenge that you know you both had to manage, and obviously we'll have to plan for looking ahead. Yeah, I think it totally depends on your supply chain, doesn't it? I think if you if you can source more locally, then perhaps that is what more companies will do. I mean, we print all of our books in the UK, for example, but we source paper worldwide, um, and I I don't think that that would necessarily change as, as a result of this. But I suppose what is quite interesting is that you know companies where you have done your due supply chain diligence and you have good governance structures in place you're much more familiar anyway with your supply chain in a way that perhaps other companies weren't so actually in terms of weathering a, a, a sort of disaster of this scale where your supply chain is disrupted actually if you have that visibility regardless of where in the world that supply chain is i think you're already slightly on the front foot um so i i, I don't think for us in the kind of publishing book production world that that would necessarily change but perhaps for other mm. other industries certainly no no yeah. good, good to know i mean I, I i don't think it's an end to globalization i think what you might see is again a bit of a, a readdress of the balance uh, and that actually there may be uh, a shift in 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 certainly if you look at the way we've all been communicating for the last 10 weeks so that maybe business travel will, will drop off I, I certainly you know, wouldn't have a problem now talking to you know, clients, um, partners, charities in, in, in this format ever again. Um, it, it wasn't something that worried me before, but it wasn't always straightforward for, for a lot of others. And, and I think that, that might, you know, people will adapt in, in, in that respect. I think we will, as a, as a business, you know, Navely, of course, is flying the flag for local. So we've always wanted to to help organizations connect locally because often there's been that disconnect, especially for big global businesses to, to feel like they can have an impact at a, at a local level, which is you know, understandable. And, and that we have seen that shift over the, the last few years. What I think will be interesting over you know, the, the years to come is you know, how this word community, which has probably been one of the most used words in the last sort of eight, 10 weeks becomes an integral way to which we, way we all behave and whether that's at a personal level and how we've connected with our, our, our neighbors and you know, started to support organizations closer to home, whether that be shops or services that you've, you've wanted to play an active part in continuing to support. Uh, I, I think that, that I'd, be, I'd like to think at least that there is a, a greater level of, of local community support you know, in, in all aspects of our life moving forward. Yeah, you see that in sort of support for kind of smaller independent retailers don't you online in mm. the you know whether that's your local um veg shop or you know butchers or um bookshops in our case you know i think people really do want to support those small high street businesses and hopefully when you know that reopens up again in a non-online setting that will continue um because i think for us in particular you know if if we look at our industry 
bookshops and particularly independent bookshops are the um, part of our supply chain which we're most concerned about um, and are kind of hit hardest so I think it will be vital that we all kind of rally behind them. Yeah absolutely and that, I think that innovation is not going away and again another very overused phrase that necessity is the mother of invention. We, we've absolutely seen that across the board in, in I'd say every, every sector of both society sometimes out of necessity uh, and the hard, the hard stories we've had to hear ourselves, but equally within businesses adapting to the way they operate. You know, it's a local independent tradesperson being able to sort of still provide a service you know, and, and adapting to uh, embrace technology in a way perhaps they haven't done previously. But you know, it, it has been, I would love to think we can maintain this level of community spirit, which has, uh, has come about over the, the last couple of months. You know, I think we're. Uh, I think businesses are probably in quite a strong position to really kind of embrace that. And, and on the aspect of trust, I think trust amongst businesses from the from the public is probably you know as high as it has been. I haven't read the kind of latest barometer from from Edelman, for example, but um, I I have a sneaky suspicion that you know if you take the media, trust in trust in the media is at a kind of all time low, and I hope that's not indicative of myself um trust in mps very much depends on how you know essential you view a 260 mile trip to durham um but, but businesses other than a select other than a select few that made some kind of uh, questionable decisions at the start of this pandemic around staff and whatnot you know most you know businesses seem a really strong point in the way they've been able to support staff and support customers to actually be able to harness this trust and, and really take consumers on them to this kind of just low carbon um, transition that, that we're all seeking for. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. I think it's interesting when, because I think the Edelman barometer that came out most recently showed that actually trust in government had increased quite significantly mm -hmm. and trust in business had increased, but actually not by a particularly high margin, which was quite surprising for me. And it made me wonder, well, actually has, even though perhaps trust in business as a whole hopefully has gone up and an individual brands that have played a part in um, the sort of, you know, positive response to the pandemic actually have some of those negative examples really loomed large in people's consciousness. And, you know, will they be, you know, perhaps remembered and blacklisted in a way that ha has sort of reduced trust in, in the sector as a whole. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think, I think it's interesting to think, well, is this a sort of moment to kind of reset the button on kind of the whole capitalism for good agenda? And is, is that something that will, will come out of this? I certainly hope so. No, it's, um, it's, it it's the time for, for thought and reflection is, isn't it now? And, um, yeah, reasons to be hopeful and, but also that, you know, there's nothing to suggest we won't just kind of slip back into uh, necessary old ways, but that's, that's probably the, the pessimistic aspect of my, my journalism career kicking in then. Um, just to finish then, uh, Stephen Sienna, I, I suppose it'd be good to look ahead as, as to what your, your kind of aims are for, for the rest of the year. We're almost kind of halfway through, believe it or not. Um, and I know that the answer to that question is probably very much uh, dependent on, on what happens with, with lockdown and the pandemic. But, but in terms of this area, what are your main ambitions for the rest of the year? Yeah, I think we're certainly looking at this as a kind of phase two, um, if you like, of our response. And, and I think certainly who knows what um, the future will bring. Things have changed so quickly in the last few weeks. Seems like we're in a more stable footing now, but that might change. I think for us, we will be continuing to kind of lean into our community and social impact programmes, whether that is working with Neighbourly to redistribute more books, 
Um, we've also done some interesting partnership work with um, audiobooks. So, for example, working with prison radio and hospital radios to kind of think, well, who are the most vulnerable and isolated people, members of society at this moment who could do with entertaining, uplifting, etc. Um, so I think we will continue to, to focus on that. Um, but I also think it's important that the climate agenda doesn't go away. So we were in the middle of a, a big um, review and um, target setting process. And I think that that's something that we want to continue. And even though it may not seem totally front of mind, especially for you know colleagues at the moment, I think we need to firmly put that back on the agenda um, and make sure that that is still front and center. Um, so that's, that's us. And I think, you know, also continuing to work out how we, um, adapt so that things that we were going to do in real life can now happen virtually so um yeah it'll be interesting to see what the next freight phase brings but um i think for us you know we're just trying to take it one step at a time great stuff and steve i guess it's summarizing pretty much what we've just been saying our absolute focus is maintaining this incredibly positive momentum that we've got when it comes to businesses engaging with and supporting their local communities uh, and, and our role in, in helping them to do that has been to continue to adapt the way that, that we're able to take the resources they've got available um, and be able to, to have a, a positive impact. So our evolution from a, say, volunteering perspective, obviously, without that being able to be done face to face has been to, to launch a a remote volunteering or, or virtual volunteering, if you like, program where it, we surveyed our community to find out you know, could individuals, you know, whether they're furloughed or whether they're just working from home, still be able to provide uh, you know, skills and, and, and time that would help them. And you know, we've got a better understanding now of exactly how different charities could be supported remotely. And, and we've actually, in the, the last week, had our sort of first few virtual volunteers going out and, and, and doing some amazing work. And so it's been great to be able to adapt you know, what we were already delivering and, and deliver it through a, a different medium. The Neighbourly Community Fund has, uh, has been a great success, but we've now gone a step further and actually we've incorporated um, and just had registered uh, our own charity, which is called the Neighbourly Foundation. Um, and the Neighbourly Community Fund will, will be absorbed into that. And, and that's going to be a a core part of our donation management strategy moving forward um, and we've continued to adapt our, our food programs to you know, support our, our, our clients that, that have food available uh, knowing that it comes in in many different forms um, from sort of local level to sort of bulk amounts but ensuring that it gets uh, you know, the maximum amount gets redistributed so it is for us ultimately about maintaining that that incredibly positive impact at a local community level um over the, the the months and years to come great great stuff um i was i was going to actually quickly touch on steve um, i'm i'm sure you've seen the stats that suggest that actually lockdowns kind of change people's attitudes to, to food they're throwing a lot less uh, away so i think from a from a food waste point of view obviously that's not the, the, the kind of only focus for for maybe but certainly one of the benefits is, is actually you know people are much more open to 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 use in food in a much more responsible way um so that you know that that may well be one of the, the kind of new normals that, that we look to uh look to as we kind of accelerate out of lockdown that would be a great outcome yes i think all of us have become more mindful about many aspects of our lives definitely um well you, you both got 
a lot on your plates by the sounds of things. So I won't keep you for any longer. Um, Sienna, um, Steve, it's been a pleasure speaking to you both. Hopefully next time we were able to speak, it's under slightly more um, usual circumstances, maybe even face-to-face. I'll keep my fingers crossed for that. that uh, we may be um, up and running by, by them, but, you know, virtual, nothing wrong with it. But as Sienna mentioned, it's quite easy to get fatigued from it, isn't it? <laughs> but um, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure speaking to you both. Likewise. Thanks, Matt. So that's about it for this episode of the Sustainable Business Covered podcast. And we'll be back later on this month with a focus on the environmental and energy impacts of this new digital world that we find ourselves in. I'll be discussing how streaming and switching mediums to digital is both benefiting and hindering the low carbon transition. I'm also hoping we'll have a few extra ED voices on this episode too. So watch this space. A reminder then that all of ED's podcast episodes, whether they be net zero or sustainable business covered, are available to listen to via Spotify and iTunes, just search ED Podcast or Sustainable Business Covered. They can also be accessed from the ED website by searching Sustainable Business Covered Podcast. Until next time though, goodbye.